Welcome to the Good You Can Do podcast, where we share tips and strategies to help you reduce waste, live a healthier life, and protect the planet for future generations. My name is Andrew Duncan, and you can find out more about this project at our website, goodyoucando.com. This particular episode fits into the living a healthier life category when it comes to the content of this podcast. It's an interview with one of the people that is closest to me on this planet, a guy named Eddie Rakanui. He's one of my very closest friends, someone who I admire and respect hugely and has had a massive influence on my life. So I'm really excited to uh, interview him on the show and and for you all to, to benefit from his presence, even though it's just in the audio sense. This recording is part one and I'll publish part two in a few days time. But in part one, we cover some a really wide range of cool subjects, everything from uh, dealing with lockdown anxiety, um, the benefits of cooking for your mental health, uh, hitchhiking, something that Eddie does for the fun of it, uh, which I think is crazy, but he'll tell you all about it shortly. We talk about going on a social media detox, uh, creating time affluence in your life. We talk about how to work with kids and social media and the dangers there. We spend a lot of time having a really cool conversation about being wary of judging strangers and what he's learned through his experiences about that we also talk about the dangers of negative media sources like the news and certain books and what effect that can have on you it's a really cool cool conversation and uh, and i think you'll enjoy it a lot uh, as i certainly as i did uh, and part two we'll get into more about um how to build a time machine business which is something i'm super passionate about and i'm excited to share that episode with you too so if you enjoy this episode, stay tuned for part two. I'll publish that in a few days. But without further ado, let me uh, get right into it and introduce you to Eddie Rakanui. I'm here with Eddie Rakanui and uh, we are celebrating its uh, first day at level two, level 2.5, whatever you want to call it. So now that we have a bit of freedom, we're together doing a podcast, living the dream. Nice. What's been happening, man? I wasn't really that keen for lockdown to finish, to be honest. I love it. Uh, I find that gives up so much more time. There's just so much more hours in the day. It takes all the pressure off too. You know, like in the mornings, we've got four kids, not having to get three of them off to kindy and school in the mornings. Like mm. you just take away all that time pressure. Man, it's just, it, it sets the tone for the whole house, almost for the whole day as well. Like it removes it, all that stress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... You know, lockdown for me has consisted of lots of exercise, lots more sleep, uh, lots more intimacy, <laughs> which is my top three. And just like doing things that I wanted to do. What do you think was different? Because I remember talking to you last time we were in level four, but over a year ago. And from memory, you struggled with it a lot more because you're such a people person and you mm. get your energy from being with other people. And I remember you mentioning that that you had had missed those connections yeah um so maybe that's one aspect but but are there other ways like looking back that you struggled more with it last time compared to this summer yeah i think the last time so the last time i didn't realize how much i missed the social connectivity until we came out of lockdown like at the time i kind of enjoyed it it was really cool i guess the novelty played into it as well it was quite cool there was you me and our other ali so you know i felt like that regular contact we were video calling every day every other day we we're doing some exercise you know it, it felt like a good time i felt like if i could have expanded my home bubble by like four or five more people i would never have come out i would have been absolutely fine this time 
I didn't feel like coming out at all. I didn't feel like I needed to expand my bubble. I felt like I had more than enough things that were keeping me interested. And it was a like a reflection that I had is, you know, that's one of the things that I enjoyed about the hitchhiking is that there's large tracts of time when it's just me. I don't know how many of those personality tests I've done, you know, Myers-Briggs, TMP, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's always kind of leaning towards like a 60-40 split of being creative and being like getting my energy from other people and stuff. But still there's quite a high percentage of actually I do enjoy just being on my own. Um, and so this just gave me all the time and all the headspace that I wanted to really explore that. So I was doing things like reading, um, which, you know, who's, who's ever got time for reading? It's like such a luxury. It is such a luxury. But when you've got time up your sleeve, you're like, actually, that's exactly what I'll do. You know, spending quality time with the kids and, you know, being able to apportion time throughout the day saying, you're being really transparent, right? From 9 till 10, I'm going to be with this one. From 10 to 11, I'll be with this one. And them coming on board and saying, okay. You know, and it does feel sometimes like it is a bit overstructured, but when you've got four kids and then you kind of, and you've got all these other things in play as well, like, you know, obviously I want to spend time with my wife and my mum and my uncle and just making sure that I don't, like, have a sense of burnout at the end of each day. Like, at the end of each day, I'm like, sweet, let's bring on tomorrow. You know, what am I going to do tomorrow? Um, I think having that structure really helped massively. Yeah, I struggle most when I don't have structure, when I'm just sort of uh, flying by the seat of my pants and, yeah. and, and just sort of time is floating by and learning that kids really love when you explain to them, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and then after that, this is going to happen. Yeah. And like actually going three, four, five steps in advance. They <laughs> not only can handle that, they, they crave it. Like yeah. It's so important. It really is. Something that I've had to work on. Nice. Me too. Life's easier when you know what's next. It really is. Like, oh, cool, I can plan for that. I don't even know, even if I don't do something physical to plan for it, even if like there's a, uh, either a shift in my thinking or I'm just at the back of my mind, cool, after I've done this, I'm going to be doing this. It's one of the reasons we drop a reminder to the kids, you know, mid-dinner will be like, oh, who's on dinner again? Or who's on the table? So that the person eating their dinner is like, oh, that's right. At the end of this, I've still got a thing. I've got a responsibility to kind of give back. But yeah, man, it, it opened up all sorts of just cool time. Like I had a makeover, I had my nails painted. Uh, I would suggest more more finger than nail. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you it's know, good man. As I was tidied up a wee bit, but um, not yeah. Yeah, you know, I've got to get my toenails painted. Um, you know, facials, that kind of thing, and just being able to, like, sit there, and I think there's a one thing that's a bit of a trap, and I fall into it a lot as well, is thinking that in order to engage kids, you've got to be doing something. I've got to be doing something, provide some sort of stimulation. They'll respond, however. Hmm. But literally getting a makeover is sitting in a chair and just letting them do their thing. And that's half an hour out like that, gone. And you're like, they have had their bucket full. My bucket's full. Move on, what's the next thing, you know? How about yourself? What did you spend your time doing? A lot of good quality time with the kids. I did have a couple of periods where I really struggled, um, which I spoke to you about at the time, but I just felt really anxious. It would be sort of two or three day periods. And I had essentially two of those where I was just like full of like nervous energy and just describe it as kind of like I wasn't lacking in energy. I was almost had too much, you know, it was just itching under my own skin almost. Yeah. And was desperate for uh, a challenge, you know, a something to take on, something to have to go and do. And during non-lockdown periods, I often placate that by 
just making myself busy (laughs) with not necessarily the most productive things. And so during this lockdown, there are a couple of periods where I really uh, battled with that. But for me, I just know that my triggers are very similar to yourself. You know, if I speak to people, if I exercise a lot, you know, have intimate moments with my wife and things, then then absolutely I'm so, my mental health is infinitely better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to tick those three boxes above yeah. all else. And, and having some structure really helps. Nice. Really helps too. So definitely some tougher periods. Fundamentally, I love being in lockdown. Like the first week was amazing. I felt like this is awesome. My diary is completely cleared. I've got time to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's really, really cool. But I think it's really easy to get really... Uh, insular you know you get stuck inside your own head and I've found myself as the level four level three went on further it was really easy to sort of not pick up the phone and call people and not video chat people and not because I didn't want to just because you kind of get a little bit insular it's kind of hard it's a and I can almost see that happening with a few of our friends too in yep. fact I definitely can yeah, where yeah, people are absolutely. don't message back or don't call back and things like that and yeah. I think it's 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 just really natural I, I do it and it's a weird thing, but I think very, very common. It is. Yeah, and, it's, it is. and it can be a little bit dangerous to get stuck inside your own head. Like, oh, you, you, know, you know, my I am my own cruelest critic. <laughs> uh, and so if I spend too much time there, yeah. it's uh, it's not a healthy thing sometimes. No, I, I found that in so two different chat rooms that I sit, you know, kind of sit in and notice their behavior so much. Like a group of guys over in Aussie, and they've been in lockdown like 200 odd days or something. It's been crazy. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of similarities with you know, our Petty Fridays group where we were locked out for a month, I don't even know how long it was, and we're exactly the same thing where you see guys start to kind of withdraw from conversations and, you know, maybe it's time for a phone call, a group phone call, and they just kind of, they've got a thing on you like, actually, what more could you have on? You're in lockdown, mm. you know, whatever's going on, you, you're you going to be able to create a space somewhere. Uh, and I noticed that, you know, like ordinarily we'd say, oh, yeah, I'm going to work out who's keen to do one. And at the start, like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of noise, you know, everyone's keen. And then it was just radio silence. <laughs> crickets. Yeah, yeah, crickets. <laughs> yeah, flight mode. I'm just like, I'm doing a workout in 20, I'm doing one in 10. And just like, I kept thinking, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it anyway. So yeah. I may as well put it out there. But I did notice that it just started to, uh, you move, people found other things to do, I guess. But I, I do question sometimes whether those other things are as beneficial to their mental health as doing exercise. You know, getting fresh air. Like, if they're out getting fresh air, of course, that's something totally different off there plugging one of those top three of theirs whatever it is but yeah it, it's a real easy and slippery slope absolutely uh without that place to go without the, the, the sort of gym or exercise place to go to i think mean, it can be really easy to just opt out of that and stay in your track fence and yep. muck around and yeah, yeah. <laughs> go make another coffee yeah <laughs> and not do those things that you know are going to be so beneficial for your mental health but yeah. take that tiny bit of getting up off your off your butt and and getting stuck in so it's amazing yeah. a little extra bit of effort i started to because i was spending more time in my pajamas or at least i was uh yeah I'll just call it that um i thought well if i'm gonna be in my pajamas i might as well do something so that's that's one of the triggers for the bread it's because like i thought okay i'm gonna be in my pajamas i'm quite relaxed and i don't want to get out of my pajamas what can i do I want to do something I really enjoy. I've got this cooking challenge. I'll make bread. And I just keep making batch after batch after batch in my pajamas. Like every day, like, cool, I don't need to go anywhere. Throw this stuff into the bread maker, turn it on, walk away, come mm. back. Hey, like I'm a chef. Matt, <laughs> uh, I'd say to anyone like who wants a tool for managing mental health, like cooking, if you haven't 
tried experimenting of getting into it like i definitely recommend it like we connor uh, is three and a half years old our oldest boy and when he was born i guess i i was sort of looking for like what can i do to be useful and so i started cooking for our family and and i'd never cooked occasionally before but not really that much and discovered in my mid-30s that i freaking love it like the kitchen is my is my happy place Uh, and there's something about the fact that it's it's engaging you produce something it's got a creative aspect to it yeah it's not incredibly taxing so it's not you know you can do it when you're a little bit tired or you're a little bit worn out like it's not <laughs> incredibly I've got some <laughs> difficult <moments> that, yeah <laughs> they were taxing but yeah, yeah in general in general <laughs> yeah. um it's, it's a similar boost that i get uh, from cooking that i get from like gardening and just being outside and working in the working working with plants and stuff as well so i really it's it's been an awesome addition to my life spending more time in the kitchen Nice. Cooking, it's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, I picked up on that a while ago from you, how much you enjoy the cooking buzz and how much, how rewarding it is for you. Yeah. I think that, I actually think that played in the back of my mind as well. I'm like, oh yeah, I know this is something that Duck really enjoys doing. And then as I'm doing, I'm like, oh, I can see why, you know, and um, like you say, that just pulling something together, I have to be in the right mood sometimes. Um, I found if I, if I can't be asked, um, then I start cooking. Sometimes it'll flick a switch. I'm like, oh, sweet. Actually, I am enjoying this. And other times I'm like, I really don't want to do this. You know, I'm like, why do that then? Don't put myself in a position where it's something that's quite cool and I genuinely enjoy doing it. But if I'm not enjoying it right now, just step away. Come back. Come back in 10 minutes. Come back in an hour or whatever. One tip I'd give people is often starting with a big, long recipe can be setting yourself up for failure hard and because you know you, you look at a recipe and think i want to make that and then you go and specifically go and buy the ingredients just for that recipe and then if it doesn't work out you, you've kind of put all your sense of pun. satisfaction <laughs> into you know you, you put all your eggs into said basket and i think there's more value to be gained by kind of looking in your fridge seeing what needs to be eaten and creatively thinking what could I make with that? Yeah. And maybe you look up a recipe. Like what I often do is I'll look at a bunch of stuff in the fridge and be like, I'm just going to make a random salad out of that. And then I'll look up a recipe for a sauce that might go with that. So it might be an avocado sauce that goes with this big random salad. No. So, the, so the recipe part is the one tiny thing which tells me how much oil and lemon and salt to mix with some avocado to make a really nice sauce. Yeah. It won't be you need these 14 ingredients for this recipe and I only have nine of them. I'm making up my own recipe with a slight bit of uh, help from someone else. And I think that's, I enjoy the creative fun of putting random stuff together. And if it works out cool, if it doesn't, who cares? But when I've tried to go strictly to a recipe, it takes away a lot of the fun. Yeah. It takes away a lot of the enjoyment. Yeah. Some of the reasons why I really enjoyed this lockdown was just the, the crazy variety that I had throughout lockdown. Yeah, it's always cliche. I happen to say no two days are ever the same, but we found that no two days were ever the same. There's always something different. How much do you think that's reliant on not having to uh, hold down the office job in a traditional sense oh, over the last few weeks? A massive amount. I think if you took away, so not just the nine to five, right? So there's, there's getting yourself ready, there's commuting, there's being there, commuting back, you know, then taking one hat off and then putting on your parent hat and there's just no let up on that. Uh, when you free up all of that time and all of the headspace and mental energy that comes with it, man, it's just amazing. That, that sense of, it strips the pressure away. You know, and with that pressure comes sometimes like emotions. You can be emotionally driven. It's hard to separate the, the kind of the thought process from the emotion behind it because you're just so tired, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was just huge. 
something for those of you listening in, something that Eddie and I are super passionate about is this idea of creating time affluence, creating more time in our lives to do what we want to be doing. Uh, whether that's or whatever it might be, whether it's sitting down reading a book, whether it's doing absolutely nothing, whether it's hanging out with your kids, whether it's spending time with your wife or loved ones, mm-hmm. whether it's working on a business idea that you really want to work on. Uh, so we've both been on a journey over the last couple of years of thinking, why are we working 40, 50, 60 hours a week? And is that really necessary? And is that really what I want to be doing with my time? And how can we be smarter about how we allocate that scarcest of resources that we that we all have uh so you've been on that journey now you stopped contracting in may May. so yeah so i started a contract tail end of last year just before we had baby and then finished that end of may took a month off wasn't even taking a month off it was like a whole lot of life admin over the next month and then went hitchhiking so for a bit of context for people you wanted to go to and explore the east coast of the north island and so as a way of getting out of your comfort zone, you decided to hitchhike this journey from yeah. Wellington yep. uh, for about a week, yeah, yeah. just over. Yeah, so uh, as you say, like, I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I'm a person that has quite a lot of control over every day. You know, I kind of know what's going to happen. I know when I'm going to wake up roughly. I know roughly when I'm going to eat, what I'll do, that kind of thing. Uh, and hitchhiking really detonates that. It just pulls it all apart. And it puts you in a position where you don't have anywhere near as much control. And it, it kind of shatters the illusion of control. I say I have control, but it's actually an illusion. I could step across the road on my way out to the car now and get hit by a bus. You know, all those things that I thought I was going to do later on, they're gone. And so being able to hitchhike puts me in a position where I've really stepped out of my comfort zone. And the more I do it, obviously, the more comfortable I become doing it. But a lot of it comes down to you know, being able to build a rapport with a complete random in a quite a foreign environment. And so I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position and I'm relying on them to reciprocate that vulnerability. Because essentially I'm saying, I'm a good person. I would like to get into your car. Please don't hurt me. And the other person's kind of mirroring that. I'm going to let you in my car. Please don't kill me. Cool. And so what that does is you find that when you get into a car, you and the driver you accelerate that position of trust that you would normally have with any other person on the planet because of that very reason. Please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. Cool. We've actually created a safe space without even having to say a word. Uh, And so you get into that environment. It's like instant shared vulnerability. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you get into that environment and the conversations you have with people are unbelievable. And... On numerous occasions, I've either at the time or later in hindsight realized the story that that person shared with me, I'm the first person that's heard that story. They've never told that story to anybody else. And you can tell because, you know, that we're talking and just this very visible sigh of relief behind the wheel, like, ah, you know, it's like I've been carrying that weight for so long. A lot of it comes down to there's no, there's no strings attached, right? Because very shortly I'm going to be getting out of the car, they'll never see me again. Um, so I think it must have, I've never been to a confessional, but I would imagine uh, it's got that sense of, I can just pour this out. It's almost a complete disconnect for this person in my life. And I get all that benefit and all that release of being able to kind of share that story and not have any blowback. 
Um, you know, it's not going to come back around to me in any way. And, you know, and, and you can kind of just move on with it. And so I had that, I've had that, man, I haven't been keeping count, but I've had it a lot. There's been a lot of occasions. And on this uh, trip, I thought, because I'd always been on the receiving end in the sense that the person had shared stories with me. And I, I really, there's a sense of pride in that for me where I thought that, you know, I feel privileged to be in this position where I've created a, helped create an environment where this person feels comfortable enough to share this story with me. And on this trip, I thought, actually, why don't I utilize the same thing? Why, what stopped me? And I, I'd, I'd never even thought about it. I never even thought, oh, I don't want to have a, you know, share an example. I've been more on the kind of entertaining, keeping, um, stimulating kind of that thing, but just allowing the driver to really talk when they wanted that kind of thing. But on this one, I did. And so, you know, I had a, a similar experience with a guy where um, I was driving from Alcaltere, which is just out of Palmy North, up to Napier. And I, I did the same thing. I had a conversation with him. I was like, I'm going to use this opportunity because I built such a strong connection with this guy. Like I find everybody I've been in the car with uh, or a van or a truck or whatever, you build a rapport with them for those reasons that I mentioned really fast. And it's always, if I had to put it out of 10, it's probably about a five or a six or a seven or whatever. Mm-hmm. With this guy, we had so much in common, the way we approached life, the way we thought about things. There's like a nine you know, it was like looking in the mirror at times and he would say something and I'm like, jeepers, that's, that's the same way I would say that phrase. And so I, you know, I had that moment with him and I was like, man, relief, you know, you don't even realize how long you're carrying something for. And so I had that. And then, yeah, I just found I had similar, uh, similar instances with people still kind of continuing to share their journeys and what's been going on in their lives as I, as I went around East Coast. Uh, East Cape and it was awesome and it's just crazy beautiful countryside up there people were so much more relaxed noticeably Mm. Um, I think it's the difference between I don't know living in a a city and living on a farm it was just so marked and I got picked up by I misquote the number now 24 26 I think it was 24 24 different yeah, 24 different people picked me up. One guy even picked me up twice. Two people picked me up twice. <laughs> what a cool pattern interruption. Oh, absolutely. It really breaks up the framework of thinking. Like you, you go from a place where you have the same... I feel like you can have the same kind of conversations with people like in a work context or at home. Kind of the same kind of conversations day after day. Like it's actually possible to not really talk about anything. But every day, every conversation, there is an element of... Because, you know, why are you hitchhiking? Where have you been? That kind of part. But then as soon as I flip the script, I'm like, so tell me about your day. What were you doing before you picked me up? Why did you pick me up? You That's should... a good question. Why did you pick me up? Yeah. That's a really nice uh, segue into what could become a very interesting conversation about how they view the world and people. Because yeah. I would say you have a, a gift of putting people at ease. Not that I've been hitchhiking, but, I, but I, you know, knowing you, I know that you... That's that's one of your superpowers. <laughs> so so I can see how that would so easily happen in a once that shared vulnerability has been established in that sort of environment. Yeah, I, I love it. Like it, it really does just tick boxes galore for me. Um, what a cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you know, so I thanks to you and another guy sat down and documented it. 
the journey, put a pen to paper and say, right, this is what happened, you know, because memory and time being what they are, you kind of lose the thread of stuff. And so I put it into document it all down. And as I was writing about the very first trip, so I got, I went to the the bridge down at Jabal, Johnsonville, which everyone knows, um, near McDonald's. And then while I was there, you know, I was there for four cars. Uh, and then I got picked up and the guy who picked me up was this, Big Samoan dude, you know, physical specimen. He's a big guy, and and because of the light, the time of the day, it was like just after seven, so the street light was kind of fighting with the dawn. And I'm under a bridge, and you know, as the car pulled up, couldn't see the driver. So it was a station wagon. I'm like, okay, go to open the door. You know, you you you're making assessments like very quickly. But here's the thing that um, I think people don't give enough weight to, is that when you open the door, you've got seconds. It feels like heartbeats to make a decision. Am I getting in this car or not? And I learned from a, a hitchhiker a while back, that you never turn down a ride. And so that was always in my mind. So I can't never turn down a ride. Well, this could go anywhere. Cool, let's see how this plays out. Open the door and there's this big dude in the car. And I firmly believe that when I look at this guy and I, you know, Big guy, brown. Um, I'm a Pacific Islander, by the way. <laughs> I get to say this. Uh, you know, if he had facial tattoos or a bullhorn ring through his nose or whatever, the only thing I'm really going to know when I make all these judgments about him is how judgmental I am. Mm-hmm. And I, I firmly believe that. It's the only thing I'm going to learn is if I look at this person and I'm like, dark-skinned male tattoos, fill in the rest, all that's telling me is how I perceive those and how I judge people. And all of those judgments will come together in a... It'll test you out in that moment. Absolutely. You'll find out. If you find out, you find out so much about yourself. You're like, what kind of person... And this is stripping safety aside because it's the perception of safety versus the actual level of safety. And they're two totally different things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that perception is from your media, social uh, social media, family, friends, you know. I've had no shortage of people telling me, don't do it, you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, actually, your experience is totally different to my experience. And this has been my experience. And I've done this several times now. So I feel like I can speak to it with some confidence and that when you make those judgments, it's the only thing you're doing is putting a mirror up to yourself and saying, I, I'm going to assess this person negatively because of all the stuff that I'm carrying, all the stuff that I've heard, you know. And that just it kicks it to the curb. Yeah, excuse the pun, but it just gets rid of it. Like, I'm getting in this car. I've made, I've put myself in this vulnerable position. I'm trusting you. If you're going to trust me back, we're going to have a great time. You, you do every time, you know, every single time. I have anyone. Can't speak for others, but I've been in, I don't know, 35, maybe 40 cars now, and every one of them has just been amazing, you know, and I don't use the word lightly either. I've been picked up for five-minute trips and learned something about another person or myself that I didn't know. It's a cool story to share because I think so many of us, or the vast, vast majority of us don't don't ever have experiences like that. There's a pretty small percentage of the population that have probably done yeah. even that much hitchhiking. Mm. Uh, so I think it's a it's a cool story to share. Mm. I mean, we'll bring it back to like the time affluence thing. And I know, you know both of us being uh, as hot on it as we are, is that's one way I want to spend 
time, the time that, you know, we've been able to generate by pulling apart a lot of the financial aspects of living is I get the variety, I get the social connection, I put myself in uncomfortable positions, um, I've got I set myself challenges. You know, there's there's so many aspects to it where if I had time to do something that ticked all those, what would I do? Well, I'd, I'd jump in someone's car. I'd go hitchhiking. Um, Meet some beautiful strangers. Yeah, man. I say this ad nauseum is that I don't watch the news. Uh, I, don't, I don't read the news because I'm constantly being told that everybody out there is trying to rob me or they're trying to kill me or trying to do something, some sort of harm to me. Mm. But that is just not my experience at all. Not at all. It's so far away from the life that I've been living. And I've seen some shit, man. Um, I can put my hand up, you know, I've seen and done some dumb things as well. But the world is packed full of good people, just packed full of them. Yeah, nice way if you have been struggling to sort of restore your faith in humanity. <laughs> yeah. I had a similar experience when I uh, went to this uh, climbathon event, which is kind of like a startup weekend for people that are really into the, um, the the climate crisis, really passionate about that. And this was earlier this year uh, before the lockdown. And I had shut down my business at the end of 2019. And one of the things I've been spending a lot of time on learning about is just the way we're interacting with the planet and everything. And you know, it's easy to get into sort of mom- a lot of moments of despair and sort of exasperation when you delve into that space. But I was suddenly went to this event with 50 other people who were deeply passionate about it. And just the love in that room <laughs> was incredible. Uh, and it was just nice to be around a bunch of complete strangers that shared a passion that you had. Uh, had that you know a level of shared vulnerability that they were stepping out of their comfort zone to come to this place and spend a whole weekend with people they'd never met before. Yeah, and and it filled up so many cups. Nice. It was um, whatever is to come out of it. It was simply just a so reassuring to be in a in a place with similar people who who could yeah restore some <laughs> restore your faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> to some extent yeah and realize that actually there are a shit ton of beautiful people all over the place yeah the vast majority of people yeah. are just wonderful humans yeah uh, so it's yeah anytime you can get out and be surrounded by that is is uplifting i think so um and look i'm not naive i know there's a lot of bad eggs out there i know quite a few of them but you know they're the tiny minority most people are just stumbling around in life trying to get from a to z there's a few that have got a bit more headspace, time, money, whatever, and they're kind of contributing in other ways. But, man, I, I just feel like taking the step away from the news has just been amazing. <laughs> Any international news, it's just people killing each other constantly. It's kind of what we um, specialise in. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, I don't know if I need to know all this all the time. And just unpacking that and leaving that behind us just frees up so much I don't want to say emotion, but you know, I'm not committing emotion to it because I get sad if I see someone dying like anyone else. But I don't need to be bombarded by it, just saturated like everyone's out to attack me constantly. Man, that's just, I don't know if that's real or not. Yeah, it's it's something to be so wary of. And uh, for me, in this lockdown, when I first uh, found myself in, in, in a kind of two or three day pattern of like real despair and just depression, um, it was driven by I read this book called The New Climate War by Michael Mann. It was recommended to me and it's a book about how these basically like fossil fuel magnates around the world are waging this 
war, like what the tobacco industry did in the 20th century. Like they are trying to, um, they're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to convince us that A, the climate emergency is is our fault. You know, like BP invented the term carbon footprint. And B, they are, they, they are, if they can't convince us that it's our responsibility, they're trying to convince us that we're fucked. Like they, they are spending as much money as possible trying to convince us that, trying to fuel the sort of fatalism argument. Oh, no, I think I to that. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> and so as, a, as someone who's like deeply passionate about this, reading this, you know, just the, the anger and, and kind of frustration that that builds kind of put me into a hole that I just was struggling to climb out of. And it was like reading 40 <laughs> The World of Screwed Climate Change articles, you know, condensed into one book. And it was just, you know, hit after hit after hit. And yeah. it was like watching the cowspiracy 10 times in a row, just with your eyes glued open, <laughs> just being bombarded with this, with this stuff. And yeah, it was brutal. And that was a, yeah, that, that'll hit that you get every night from watching the news of negativity. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was just a big banquet of that. Yeah. It's funny, though, because it's really easy to, to slip into something like that. Social media is a great example where, you know, our eldest is, she's got a phone, um, she has to manage her time. She's, it's like a, like a, we operate like a graduated driver license system at our house. That's where, cool, I like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and very much use the analogy of, a driver's license like you yeah. get the phone you get some access rights you get some time that kind of thing you demonstrate for long enough and consistently enough that you can manage your own time you get more freedoms and eventually you'll have because it's coming whether we like it or not yeah. she's going to have full unadulterated access constantly 24-7 to a phone like it's going to happen either in 5 years or 10 years whatever and so the best thing we can do is just kind of prep her for it. And so with the social media aspect, when she's watching something, particularly TikTok, which is banned in our house, has no real understanding of the effort that goes into making that machine what it is. And just like any other advertising, most other advertising, I should say, and I'll qualify it by saying I used to work in advertising and I used to do this as a job, is you're constantly being bombarded with messages that you aren't good enough unless you buy this thing or you look like this or you do this thing. No, that's advertising. That's what it leverages off. You're not good enough. But your life would be a little bit better if you bought this product, by the way. And so for her, she does not see... She sees person dancing on TikTok, right? What she's not realising is like the branded clothing this person's wearing, um, the links to this person's uh, products and pages and all the rest that are sitting in her profile. Like all mm. these things that kind of sit behind the dancing. And that TikTok is taking her viewing history and adjusting exactly what it feeds her based on <laughs> based on behaviours that, you know, so like the, the way that we are being, yeah, the way that everything is so personalised and, and, yeah. and, and the way you're being, I, I was going to say, the, word, the reason I'm stalling is the word I was going to say is manipulated, which seems too strong, but the way you're getting kept on that platform, no, I, you know. I totally and, would subscribe to the word manipulated. That's exactly, from my mind, that's exactly, we use it, we're at home. Like, you're being manipulated into this by the algorithm. To not want to put your phone down. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah. keep feeding those endorphins into your brain. Like, look, there's this drug that's in your hand. Uh, so I, I, yeah, drug that's in your hand. That's absolutely. It's, it's a manipulation. Mm. so yeah it's not surprising if you kind of read a book your own social media that you're going to start to come down because you know you're just bombarded with it it's like saturation point so 
Yeah. yeah, we recently did, Anna and I did a, uh, my wife Anna, did a, uh, a month off social media. It was really healthy. You know, we just found like the, the phones were just coming out a little bit too often, you know, in, in the living area. We wanted to really stop that. Uh, and it was a really rewarding experience, really positive. You do feel isolated from society. Yeah. Uh, you know, once you jump off Instagram and Facebook in some ways. And for me, it's a challenge because I, I podcast and share ideas and thoughts. And we had this podcast called The Good You Can Do, uh, which, which you obviously know about if you listen to this. And part of the goal of that is to build a community to encourage people to support each other and, and just be there for each other and um, meet like-minded, cool people in a safe space. And one of the challenges around that is do you use a place where people mostly are already like Facebook or uh, what I would much rather do is find a way to do it without that. Find a safe space that you can create uh, that's not reliant on using a tool which is designed to manipulate everyone's attention. Yeah. <laughs> Away from what they arguably should be. <laughs> yeah. Potentially more like more, you know, get more value out of spending time on like family and reading, I think sleeping, whatever. Well, like social media, like, because I remember we were talking, this is at least a year ago when we were talking about how could we use social media to share the experiences that we'd been going through where we were finding huge amount of value and positivity out of. And it's the same this dichotomy, the word, anyway, that I like experiencing at the moment where I've got this challenge that I've set myself with this 10,000 followers. I know how I can get 10,000 followers. The one way I can do it is to just um, follow trends. So, you know, mm. a person puts up a filter and it's a, a, your head turning into a horse and then or you, you record a video and you times it by two and then you it looks like you're dancing one way and then you're dancing another. Anyone who, who was on social media knows exactly these things, these trends that I'm talking about. Like, I could do it that way, but that adds no value in my mind. It's some entertainment value, but that's not really the value that I want to add. And so there's this this kind of balance of the sweet spot that we were talking about even then about how do we use this thing which is almost sometimes it feels like it's just a tool for evil but how do you how do you put value on it so that if people are going to go there and that's where your audience audience are going how do you give them something that's going to be positive and add value to their life and so like for me a challenge has been uh, it's not really a challenge it's more just a like this determination if I'm putting something on there, it's value add. And if it's not value add, it's not going on. Because too many people are putting crap on there. It's just full of rubbish. But if I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to stick to this. And if I don't get there because I'm not doing horses' heads and whatever else. If it takes longer than that. Then, then, then so be it. Yeah. No, so be it. Because there is an argument that you need to go where people are. And yeah, yeah and that's uh, and that's where you can help the most people is by being in that in those places where people yeah. are frequenting and, and spending their attention. Yeah, yeah, they're three attention. That's right. <laughs> that's it for part one. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for part two, which will come out in the next few days, which is all about escaping the rat race and that fun subject and uh, how to build a time machine business. So if you're intrigued, that one will be with you soon.